The following audio is from Potomac Heights Baptist Church, located in Indian Head, Maryland. More information about Potomac Heights Baptist Church is available at www.phbc.com. Potomac Heights Baptist Church exists to glorify God and to make Christ known to the ends of the world by helping one another become more like Jesus. It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. In December of 1989, I joined Grace Baptist Church in Sumter, South Carolina. At the time, I remember I was desperate. My soul was absolutely desperate for a home church. I remember visiting on one Sunday in December and literally joining the next Sunday. Um, I may have told you this story before, but I I was so unfamiliar at the time with church language uh, that I embarrassed myself on more than one occasion um, at that new church. And the first time, I, I didn't waste any time, the first time I embarrassed myself, I visited on a Sunday, it was the Monday, even before I joined the church, I already embarrassed myself um, that first day. Um, it's been over 30 years ago now, but I, I still, I distinctly remember that first worship service. Um, I, I remember uh, the pastor imploring, encouraging everyone to show up on Monday night for church visitation. Now, I had no idea what visitation was. I didn't know what it meant, but I figured since I'm a visitor, it must be for me, right? That's what church visitation must be for. And so dutifully, I show up on Monday night thinking that visitation is for me. And straight away, I'm paired with a young man named Robert. Um, My pastor said to me, and I quote, he said, I don't think this has ever happened before that we had somebody that we were planning on visiting actually come to visitation. (laughs) Now I can tell by your laughter that you're following along with me. You know what visitation is all about. I was confused at the time. I didn't know know that visitation was a time when church members came out to visit those people who had been guests the previous Sunday. And since Grace Baptist, it was a large church, by no means a mega church, but probably five or six hundred people on Sunday morning, um, They had a lot of people every week that needed to be visited, so to speak. But it wasn't until the pastor had made that comment to me there at visitation that it finally I was able in my feeble mind to kind of start putting two and two together like, yeah, I'm not in the right place right now. I I still remember that pastor, by the way. Dr. Gary Parker is his name. He was a very nice man. He meant absolutely no harm in what he was saying. He was just being jovial and lighthearted. But I was absolutely mortified. I mean... When I realized what I'd done, I was embarrassed beyond belief. And so I wasn't about to tell them that I didn't know what visitation was for, right? So, so I just go ahead and I play along like, well, the reason I'm here is I just wanted to kind of see how you guys do an outreach ministry at your church. And, uh, you know, and, and in fact, by the way, I did turn out, to, I enjoyed it so much uh, I, that I became a regular person to go out visiting on Monday night. It was a lot of fun. Um, but so I, I joined the church the next Sunday. Sadly, that wasn't the end of my embarrassing moments. Um, the church had a bulletin, and in the bulletin was printed every week the order of service. Um, and the order of service had clues for people like me, again, people who weren't familiar with a lot of church language. Um, for example, there's this strange word that was printed in the bulletin. It started with a D. Um, the word was doxology. And I remember at the time... 
thinking, what does doxology mean? I, I wasn't even sure if I was pronouncing it properly, doxology. Um, but after the word doxology, um, was a, was this little asterisk, asterisk. And so if you went down to the bottom of the bulletin, the asterisk meant everybody was supposed to stand during the doxology. And so I stood up and everybody started singing. Um, every week it worked the same way. You would, would sing a number of hymns. They would collect the offering. And then as the offering was being brought down to the front, everybody stood and sang this thing. I evidently was called a doxology. It was the same song every week. I didn't, I didn't know it at all. I'd never heard it before in my life. But they sang it. Everyone seemed to know the song, except for me. I had no idea what this song was that they were singing. And so what do I do? Well, I do what anybody would do in this situation. I just pretended like I knew what the song was. And I just moved my mouth just to pretend like, like I'm not standing there going, you know, what in the world are you guys singing? And I just pretend. But he, here's what they sang every week. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you very much. I wasn't planning on you guys singing, but you guys did awesome. That was awesome. We need to do that more often. That was fantastic. Uh, but every week they sang it, and every week I would have to like kind of fake pretend a little less because every week, over and over, they're singing it, and as, as time went by, months later, I finally got to where, I, okay, I know the words of this song, and I can sing it with some confidence. By the way, it was years, so they didn't have projection screens. Remember this back in the 1980s. Uh, and uh, so it was years later when I realized that the words to that song are printed in the bulletin. I mean, excuse me, the, the hymnal sitting right, right in front of me. Uh, they weren't in the bulletin. I knew that for sure, but they were right there in the hymnal all the time. And by the way, just learn from my experience here, please. If, if we do something that's a little strange, like what, why do they do that? And we're, ask a question. It's really not embarrassing. This, in my 23-year-old mind, I thought it was embarrassing, but try, it's not embarrassing to ask these questions. So if we do something that's a little strange, feel free to ask. But I, I still haven't explained what that word doxology means. And that's really my point in this opening illustration. Is what, is, what is a doxology? Well, a doxology, it's a, the word is it's a compound of two Greek words. The first word is doxa. Um, and that Greek word, is, it's actually used in our text today. It's used in verse 27 our text. There it's translated as glory. Uh, but more generally, uh, doxa means um, a state of high honor. The second part of the word is from the Greek word logos, which means word. And so a doxology then, when we put them together, it's a word of high honor or a word of praise. That's what a doxology is. It's, it's a word of praise about our God. And in our text today, these last three verses of Romans, they're sometimes referred to as the doxology of Romans. Paul ends this magnificent letter, this feast of a letter, and he ends it with a word of praise to God. And so if you're there, say amen. Amen. All right, let me read those three verses out loud. Uh, You follow along. Um, In my Bible, there's even the heading that says doxology. Uh, So if you have an ESV Bible, you'll see that at the top uh, there above verse 25. Paul writes, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that that was kept secret 
for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word, your word that is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that today as we focus on these three verses, this doxology, this word of praise about who you are, Father, that our hearts would be warmed today as we consider all that you have done for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our time in this magnificent letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Use this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've titled uh, this morning's sermon, To God Be the Glory. To God Be the Glory. And if you're a note taker, our central idea is this. For the wisdom of God in bringing us salvation, we bring Him praise. For the wisdom of God in bringing us salvation, we give Him praise. And so in these three verses, I don't have a specific outline for these three verses. Uh, what I want to do this morning is I want to walk us through the text. Um, and then at the end, I want to have, I have uh, just a few points of application from this text into our, our, into our lives. Um, by the way, just before I get too much further, um, so thank you for your prayers. Again, some of you asked me before, beforehand how my shoulder's doing. I do have a sling. It's right over here. Just to feel more comfortable um, having both hands on the pulpit, so to speak. Uh, this morning and so but um, I have a checkup appointment tomorrow morning everything's going well Uh, praise God for my wife who's taking good care of me and um, and Lord willing I have a good checkup tomorrow for my shoulder Um, so Paul begins this doxology in verse 25 he straight away by pointing us to God he says now to him The, the him in question here is clearly a reference to God the father And what does Paul tell us about the Father? Well, Paul wants us to know that the Father is able, that is, He's capable of, or He has the power to, strengthen us. Now, to Him who is able to strengthen you, is what Paul writes. And by strengthen, He he doesn't mean that the Father is going to give us, you know, 22-inch biceps or anything like that. That's not, it's not a physical strengthening, so to speak, more, more a spiritual strengthening that Paul is talking about. But how is Paul, or excuse me, how is God going to strengthen us? Well, Paul tells us that the Father will strengthen us two ways. Two ways. Notice this in verse 25. He will strengthen us first according to my gospel and then the preaching of Jesus Christ. So there again, two things. First, there's Paul's gospel. And second, there's the preaching of Jesus Christ. Through those two means, God is going to strengthen us. Let's start with Paul's gospel. And so why, why do you think, why does he call it his gospel or my gospel? You know, isn't the gospel just the gospel? Isn't the gospel the same no matter who proclaims it? Or, or is there something distinct, perhaps, about Paul's gospel that's different than perhaps Peter's gospel? Well, yes and no. First, first the no. Both Paul and Peter and anybody else who would proclaim the gospel, we do so by focusing on the saving work of Jesus Christ. And so, a gospel without Jesus is not a gospel. 
A gospel without Jesus is not good news. So unless Jesus is at the center, we don't have any good news. But, here would be the yes, how it is slightly different. Paul feels himself especially called by God to minister to the Gentiles. And so this is how Paul's gospel would have been different, for example, say then Peter's gospel. Because Paul's gospel sheds light on how the Gentiles would have been included in the good news. And that's not to say, by the way, that Peter didn't believe that the Gentiles were called. But Peter had a separate ministry and Paul had this ministry that was especially focusing on the Gentiles. And this is why he refers to it as my gospel. Okay? And as he's writing to the church in Rome, there would have been a lot of Gentile believers in that church. And Paul wants them to be strengthened by knowing that they too have been included in this thing called the gospel. And so God strengthens them according to Paul's gospel, but secondly, God also strengthens them according to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now that word that's here translated as preaching for us, it can refer both to the act of preaching, like what I'm doing right now, but it can just as easily refer just to proclamation in general, proclamation about Jesus in general. That is what every one of us should be doing all throughout the week. In our day-to-day lives, we should be proclaiming Jesus. And Paul wants us to know that this proclamation of Jesus actually strengthens us. Now specifically, that preaching of Jesus Christ, according to verse 25 still, the preaching of Jesus Christ is according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. And so what, what is this mystery? What is this mystery all about? Paul uses that word, by the way, mystery. He uses it a lot in his writings. Of the 28 times that that word mystery appears in the Bible, 21 of those 28 times, it's in Paul's letters. And so what does he mean by mystery? Well, a mystery is simply something that has been obscured. It's been veiled, if you will. He doesn't mean that it's been completely hidden, that it's not there for us to see at all. But he doesn't mean that we can see it clearly. It's been obscured, veiled. But now, praise be to God, according to verse 26, the mystery is no longer veiled. That mystery has been disclosed, he says, through the prophetic writings. These would have been the writings that we call the Old Testament. That through these prophetic writings, the mystery has been made known, Paul says, to all nations. And so, yes, it was veiled. Yes, if you're a student of the Scriptures, you know it's harder to see the Gospel in the Old Testament than it is in the New Testament. But the Gospel nevertheless has been revealed through the prophetic writings so that all the nations, so that everybody in this world can know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this preaching of Jesus Christ, and that, or rather, and that's what this preaching of Jesus Christ, that's what it's all about. It's how we are strengthened as the people of God. We're strengthened as we bring the gospel to all the nations. We're strengthened when we take this glorious news to all the nations. And all of this, all of this is happening 
Look with me again at verse 26. It's all happening, quote, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Now, I want us to notice three things. Three things in that little phrase. First, all of this is being done according to the command of the eternal God. Another way we could say that is according to the authority of the eternal God. In other words, the preaching of Jesus, the revelation of this mystery, all of this is according to the command or the authority of the eternal God. None of this is catching God off guard. Second, notice how Paul refers to God here. He calls Him the eternal God. Beloved, the God of the Bible isn't just one God amongst a pantheon of gods. The God of the Bible isn't the invention of human minds. The God of the Bible is the eternal God. With Him there is no beginning of days, and with Him there will be no end of days. He is eternal. You know that little question that children would sometimes ask you? Well, what happened before God existed? Well, that time doesn't exist. God Himself is outside of time. God exists outside of time. He is eternal. Third, notice from this that the purpose of this preaching of Jesus, the purpose of the revelation of the ministry, it's a singular purpose. There's one purpose And that purpose is to bring about the obedience of faith. To bring about the obedience of faith. And we know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so Paul concludes this doxology, this word of praise in verse 27 by writing, he says, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And once again, here Paul is attributing praise to God by calling Him the only wise God. Again, He's not not just one God among many wise gods. The God we worship is the only wise God. Every other religion in the world claims that we have to do something special on our end if we want to have a relationship with God. We have to work toward our relationship with God. But our God, on the other hand, is not waiting for us to do something special to reach out to Him. God reached out of heaven to us and came to us. And He did that through sending His Son, His only Son. God came to us. God gave Himself up for us so that we might enter into a relationship with Him. You see, our God knows that Try as we might. We don't have what's in us. We don't have in us, rather, what is necessary for us to bridge the gap between us and God. So, God bridged that gap for us. He made a way for us. Sin had separated us from God, and so He sent His only Son, Jesus, to take care of our sin problem. And praise God that He did that. So now I want to spend just the last few minutes talking about some points of application. I have four points that I want to make of application. First point, I'm going to ask you this question. They're all in the form of questions. Do we know who we are? Do we know who we are? Paul begins this doxology by referring, he says, to my gospel, Paul's gospel. And I've argued that the basic content of the gospel is the same. So it's all about Jesus 
no matter who's sharing it, that, that's the basic content of the gospel. But for Paul, Paul's been called as a missionary to the Gentiles. And so Paul wants those who were at one time separated from Christ. Paul feels that he's called to those who were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Paul's writing to people who were strangers to the covenants of promise. Paul has on his heart those who had no hope and who are without God in this world. Beloved, hear me well. Paul is writing to us. Don't you know who we are? We are Gentiles. We were separated from God. But now through the blood of Jesus Christ, we've been brought near to Him. Praise be to God for His glorious grace. And we can be strengthened when we know that we're part of God's plan. We're a part of God's good news. That's the first point of application. Second point. Are we preaching Jesus Christ? Are we preaching Jesus Christ? And again, most of the time when we hear the word preaching, we think about what I'm doing. You think, well, pastor, that's your job. It's not my job to preach. Or, or maybe we think about it even preaching even in a negative sense, like, well, he sound, he's so preachy. Um, but preaching doesn't have to be meant in either of those two terms. Preaching is simply proclamation. That's what preaching is. Sometimes it's done with a larger audience. And sometimes it's done with a one-on-one conversation where we proclaim the truth about Jesus. And as we proclaim Jesus, our point is simply to point others to Jesus. It's not to say, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's rather to say, hey, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. That's what the proclamation of Jesus is about. Maybe you're speaking to somebody who's never even heard the name of Jesus. And so then as you proclaim Jesus to that person, you're introducing that individual to Jesus. You're encouraging him to trust in Jesus. Or maybe you're speaking with somebody who's heard about Jesus a thousand times, but still hasn't trusted Jesus. Well, guess what? In that situation, your job is the same. It's to point that individual, to point that woman, that boy, that girl, that man, whoever it is, point her to Jesus and tell her that trusting in Jesus is better than trusting in whatever she's trusting in right now. Point them to Jesus. But proclamation of Jesus is also done with people who have already trusted in Jesus. People who have already given their life to Jesus. And guess what? In that situation, your job is still the same. You're you're pointing them to Jesus. You're imploring that person, whether they've been walking with Jesus for 10 minutes or 10 years, you're imploring them to walk with Jesus every step of the way through this broken world. And so, are we pointing one another to Jesus? Is that something we're doing? You know, sometimes all we need, maybe you're going through a rough spell, sometimes all you need is a little encouragement, a a reminder that God is for you. We need to be reminded sometimes about what the most important thing in this world is. And so we can encourage one another as we point one another to Jesus. But not only do we point one another to Jesus, are we pointing even the nations to Jesus? It's one thing to say that we believe the gospel and that the gospel is for us. 
It's another thing to say, I believe the gospel, I believe the gospel is for everyone. But what are we doing to prove that we believe the gospel is indeed for everyone? You know, maybe it starts for you by bringing the gospel to your neighbor. And that's a great start. Maybe it starts for you by bringing the gospel to a family member. That's also a great place to start. But listen to me, ultimately Jesus himself commissioned us to take the gospel to all the nations. And so what role are we playing in preaching Christ to all the nations? Third point of application. Do we know God as well as we should? Do we know God as we should? I've already shared with you that Paul, he uses three adjectives, just three adjectives in this passage today to describe God. He, he calls him in verse 26, the eternal God. And then in verse 27, he calls him the only wise God. What are some other biblical ways we can uh, describe God? We've already had a wonderful time of audience participation. Let's try that again. Uh, so what are some ways, when you think about God, what comes to mind, biblically speaking, what are some things that come to mind? Just shout it out. Sovereign, holy, righteous, true, pure, deliverance, good, almighty. Oh, this, awesome, this is fantastic. You, do, you, do you hear that? Here's my point. If we don't know who God is, when, when, if we don't know who He is, we can never possibly give Him the praise that He deserves. If we're ignorant of Him, we can't give Him the praise He deserves. I've shared this quote with you a number of years ago, but I'm, it's, it's worth hearing again. This is a, a pastor named A.W. Tozer, just lived in the last, so in the, in the 20th century, so not, he's deceased now, but um, he wrote this um, at the beginning of his book called A Knowledge of the Holy. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts about God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God Himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea about God. Beloved, what do you think about when you think about God? If we want to praise Him, we need to know Him first. Fourth point of application is are we exercising the obedience of faith? Are we exercising the obedience of faith? So we participate in the gospel of Christ as we obediently exercise the type of faith that Abraham had toward God. You see, Paul, Paul didn't have a vision for gospel per participation that didn't include gospel obedience. The truth of the matter is this. The gospel changes lives. And if your life has never been changed 
then it's almost a certain bet that the gospel is simply just an abstract concept in your mind and not a living reality in your life. The gospel is designed to bring about this obedience of faith. You see, we're we're far too easily amused by the trappings of this world. We don't understand what God is offering us in Jesus Christ. we, We would rather have you know, the, the bright and sparkly things that this world has to offer, and we forget what Jesus is offering us. And we choose disobedience over obedience. Another short quote from a man named C.S. Lewis. He says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Friends, don't settle for what this world has to offer you. Don't settle for that. Don't settle for choosing to be obedient to the world when what Christ offers us is far more enriching. You know, we're all we're all faced, by the way. We're faced with that choice of obedience and disobedience. But when you're when you're faced with that, remember this Jesus is better. Disobedience, it, it may may supply us with some fleeting pleasure. But only Jesus can truly satisfy. And so I leave you with these words. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank You so much for our time together. I thank You, Lord Jesus, for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that you would use this time now again to mold us and shape us, make us more and more and more like Jesus. Help us, Father, to walk in the obedience of faith that we might be pleasing to you in every respect. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.